Morning, church. Man, I missed y'all. It's been a, about a month, I think, since uh, I've been up here, and uh, you probably forgot who I am. My name is Matt. <laughs> I'm a pastor here. Uh, if you're new here um, and uh, don't know what's been going on, my, my wife, on top of other health problems, um, uh, had a pretty severe break to her leg, snapped the bone in half, needed surgery and all that kind of stuff. And, and so uh, uh, because of that, on top of other health issues, I've been having to stay at, at home and, and uh, do what I can to, to serve her and make sure uh, the household uh, continues to uh, operate uh, is like it should or at least attempt to help make it operate the way that it should. And uh, you know what's been amazing is uh, through all this, Uh, The church has really um, expressed so much love and care uh, to Shannon and and our family. And on top of that, uh, not only have you all blessed us, it's awesome to see you minister and bless each other, to see people step up and be the church, uh, for people to recognize that that ministering to others is not just something for the, the professionals to do. You are a part of the body of Christ. And uh, because you are a part of the body of Christ, because you are a sister or a brother, you don't need an official church ministry to serve. You do that because it's who you are. And I see that happen. And um, I'm, I just absolutely uh, am grateful for our, our church family. So um, one thing that, that I have learned, um, that I continue to learn, and uh, I, I, God has been teaching me again lately is, you know, when you go through, you know, difficult times, when, when life is, is, is hard, um, you can make a couple of mistakes. One of the mistakes is thinking that you have it tougher than anybody else, right? The other mistake is, other, is to say, you know what, other people have it way worse than I do, I'm not really going through a difficult time compared to this person or that person, and that's a mistake. I mean, it could be good to recognize it. I guess things could be worse, but it's a mistake um, in as much as there's a temptation, without even thinking about it, to kind of overlook whatever it is that God is trying to teach you in and through whatever it is that that you are going through, and you just you just kind of short-circuit that whole process because other people have things that are far more uh, difficult. And, and uh, being aware of that helps you make the most of whatever it is that, that you're going through uh, at that time. And we all know that we live in a broken world, right? We live in a world where people sin against each other. We sin against others. There are things that just are, are messed up and natural consequences of, of, of sin. And there's just, you know, if you've been here on this world for any amount of time, there is going to be pain and suffering. You're going through a, a, a good time. You're riding the wave uh, right now. It's just, you know, right around the corner, there's going to be some t- hard times, you know. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer or anything like that. That's just life and the world that we live in, Right? We're going to go through tough stuff. Sometimes, sometimes, um, you might feel like this, this picture right here. 
You're minding your own business, and then life hits you in the face out of nowhere. And then it happens again and again and again and again, right? And you didn't even see it coming. Have you been there? Has that happened to you? You know, it's happened to, to me personally. It's happened to everybody I know. You get hit with a disaster that's just out of your control, and it can hurt, and it can leave a mark, probably a mark that will stay with you for the rest of your life. That is life in a broken world. We find ourselves overwhelmed. We find ourselves beat down. We find ourselves discouraged or ripped off or whatever it is. The question is, what do you do? What do you do when you are in a situation where you have a God-given responsibility uh, or you have maybe even a godly desire, something that you know would bring glory to God, but you just don't have the resources to fill it, to fulfill that responsibility? For me, whether it's my responsibility as a husband, my responsibility as a father, my responsibility as, as a pastor. You know, I, I really do want to do anything that I possibly can to fulfill those responsibilities. And so many times I realize that there is just so much that is just out of my hands that I can't control. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Nod your head. Yeah, absolutely. So what is it for you? What is it that comes to your mind when life just kind of hits you in the face out of nowhere? Don't dismiss it as, you know, other people have it worse than you. And don't think that, that you have it worse than, than any, anybody else. Let's pray. Let's, let's look to God and see what he has uh, to teach us, whether it be um, we're going through a health issue, maybe some of you are overwhelmed with family problems, maybe you're facing a financial problem, you just don't know how you're going to make it, uh, maybe you're struggling with your, your faith and sometimes it feels like you don't even know if God exists anymore, maybe, maybe your spouse is going through a hard time and you can just watch and she, as she, she's feeling crushed or it might be your child or a close friend or and you just feel totally helpless. I mean, you know, Shannon's condition, she has fibromyalgia syndrome. Well, part of that is inflammation, so she experiences pain more than most people do. She has, like, the, just tender spots on her body, and it feels like if, if it just gets touched, it's like touching a bruise. And so when she broke her leg, imagine how much more painful uh, that was. And uh, I've, I've never seen her in more pain. And actually, I don't think I've ever seen any other human in more pain than her. And we had her in the hospital with doctors and medication. And, and there was only so much they, they can do. And you just feel totally, completely, absolutely helpless. Can't do anything. So when you can't do anything... What can you do? <laughs> well, everything else we might want to do or might try to do, we pray. We pray. But what do we pray? 
You know, on two different occasions, two different times, Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father. And in both places, he gives the Lord's Prayer. And that's it. Obviously, he thought it was kind of important. You know, sometimes when, when I'm overwhelmed or I feel helpless, and, and I, sometimes I just don't even know how to pray. Has that ever happened to you? Where you just can't even string two words together. You just... But when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we know that we're praying according to God's will. Because we're praying exactly what Jesus tells us to pray. And Jesus tells us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us, deliver us from this evil. You know, we did a series on the Lord's Prayer a while ago. And the morning of May 8th, the Sunday morning, Sharon broke her leg, I was going to preach this just to review it again. And I was somewhat ready for it, but apparently not as ready as I needed to be because between now and then, I have a whole new perspective on this. Um, I may have had accurate theology or facts or whatever, but it's amazing how God uses life circumstances to help you internalize it for that to be Become part of your soul, part of your heart. And as we look at the Lord's Prayer, and we look at our life and the brokenness of the world through the lens of the Lord's Prayer, it reminds us of, of four realities, four realities that are critical to remember when we're helpless. Four realities that, that shape our perspectives. They shape our attitudes uh, toward ourselves, toward God, towards other people. It shapes our faith. And therefore, it shapes the way that, that we live. You know, I mean, I think it's really easy for people to think that, that praying is just not very practical. That's not, you know, give me something just super practical, like a list of things that I should be doing or or, you know, how to self-help, whatever, that's practical. Prayer, that's not practical. I believe that nothing is more practical than prayer. Nothing is more practical than this. So if you're taking notes, let's look at it. The first thing that the Lord's Prayer reminds us of is our identity. It reminds you who you are, Right? If you remember, the Lord's Prayer begins with Jesus saying, when you pray, say, our Father. And in our, in our series, we learn that in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 14 times. But in the New Testament, Jesus calls God Father more than 180 times. And you know what? Jesus does something totally new that nobody did before. He uses um, the word he uses for father 
is Abba. Abba, Abba is a word a child would use uh, to call his, his father, like dad. Whether you're young or old, you still call your dad dad, right? It's a familiar and affectionate term. It was an everyday family word. None of the religious people in that day ever called Yahweh the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the all-holy, righteous, just God of the universe, Dad. No one ever called him Abba, but Jesus did. And he called him Abba in all of his prayers except for one. Jesus calls God dad. And then you know what he does? He says to you, repeat after me. Our Abba. Man. He shares his his sonship with you. He shares his, his closeness to the Father with you. He shares his intimate relationship with the Father with you. He brings you into that. We So often we just... Treat God like he's our boss and we have to perform for him so that we can earn whatever it is that he gives us. He's our father. So listen, whatever problem you are going through right now, your problem is not really your problem. That's not your real problem. My problems are not my real problems. And what are my problems? Well, normally I would say how much time you got, right? But we can simplify that and look at the problem beneath all my problems. And the root of it all, my problem is that I forget who I am in the midst of my problems. That's at the root of it. That's the main problem. I forget who I am in the midst of all of my, my, my problems. I forget that I am a child of God. And then I live like an orphan. Like I've been abandoned. Like I have no hope. It's because I forgot who I am. No one really understands. No one can really help me. I'm helpless. So right at the beginning, Jesus knows this, and he says, when you pray, say our Abba, because it reminds you of who you are. It reminds you of who God is to you. Now, all of us make Stupid decisions from time to time. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes. Very enthusiastic. Amen. Because we know it is true. And growing up in teenage years, and making stupid decisions was my hobby. All right? Like when I broke something valuable or broke an important rule or maybe it was something that got the cops involved. One of the most common thoughts I had is, or one of the most common thoughts any kid has when something like that happens is, my dad's going to kill me, right? I've had that thought more than once. But I also remember the times when I thought my dad was going to kill me only to hear my dad say, you know what, we're going to take care of this. And then he would stand with me and he would be for me. And I knew that he was in my corner, even though I just totally messed up. And the reality becomes clear. That 
that's my dad. And I'm his son. I guess he's not going to kill me after all. And then there's the peace. And then also there is a greater affection that gets stirred up for my dad. When you're helpless and life beats you down, rips you off, lets you down, remember who you are. Remember who your dad is. And so you pray in the midst of it, Heavenly Father, I am totally, completely overwhelmed. I'm completely helpless, but I know that you're not. I know that you're in total control of my situation because you are my Father. And I know that you love me so much that you will use whatever happens in my life for my ultimate good. That is looking at the broken world and your messed up life through the lens of the Lord's it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of who we are. Second, the Lord's Prayer reminds us of God's tomorrow. And I'll explain what I mean because it's so much more than what you might think. I think it's important to see how Jesus puts this together. There are actually two halves of, of the Lord's Prayer. And the first half focuses on, on God and God's tomorrow. And in Matthew's Gospel, it reads this way. It reads that when you pray, say, Our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first of all, there's three important things that stand out to me here. First of all, this prayer is a prayer of total defiance. It is a prayer of defiance. Defiance because it's saying, you know what? This, the kingdom of this world is wrong. The status quo is wrong. We are praying for God's kingdom, for the advancement of, of God's kingdom to replace this world's kingdom. It is a prayer of defiance. It is acknowledging that wars are wrong. Starvation is wrong. Racism is wrong. Child abuse is wrong. Homelessness is, is wrong. Apathy and arrogance and being your own decision maker about what is right and wrong is wrong. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Our world is broken. It's wrecked. It's totaled. Why in the world is the world so messed up? Because the wrong king is on the throne of people's hearts. And when the wrong king is on the throne, everything falls apart. And so we turn to God and we say, Father, hallowed be your name. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for the day when King Jesus finishes making everything that's wrong in the world right. That right there is a prayer of defiance. It's also a prayer of profound confidence. You know what? God's not just going to clean up our mess, make it tidy, as nice as we might think that would be. He's not just going to clean up our mess. He's going to transform everything. All of the horrible, painful, hurtful, disappointing things that ever happened or will happen in uh, your life will be totally transformed. It will be caught up in the glory of God in such a way that it will make God's glory even more glorious. The greater the suffering, the greater the redemption, the greater God's glory. The greater the suffering, the greater the redemption, the greater God's glory. And we know that even today God answers those prayers. 
Even today, God reveals that, 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 in his, that even today, God reveals his glory in impossible situations. Even today, God is glorified in our time of, of greatest weakness. And so when we're helpless, we pray our Abba, hallowed be your name, in this. And thy will be done in that, just as it is in heaven. It's a prayer of confidence, even if you don't understand it all. And then it's also a prayer of radical commitment. You know, it is a sacrificial commitment to live for the honor of of our Father's name, to proclaim the righteousness, peace, and joy of his kingdom, to live out the righteousness, peace, and joy of his kingdom, to do his will here and now as the angels do in heaven, joyfully and obediently and immediately. And it is out of love and appreciation and honor and respect. I mean, that says a lot about who your father is to people who are watching you. That he is worthy. That's what we're talking about when you say worshiping God through, you know, your life and the way that you live it. Because it speaks volumes about who your God is. There was a time when I did not ever think about the reputation of my father. And it showed by the way I lived. And there are many, 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 many examples. And we don't have unlimited amount of time. And I've shared this with you before, probably because it just stands out to me. It's just being so foolish. It was when uh, I was 20 or so, my boss let me borrow his brand new car, brand new. And uh, this was before we were married. Shannon was in town from college, and she brought a college friend that he helped. They, they shared driving. It's like a four-hour drive, and they shared driving to get down here and back. And I met him. He told me he's never, ever had carne asada. Never had a carne asada burrito, carne asada taco. And I'm wondering, what planet is this guy living on? He didn't even know what carne asada was. What is carne acida? I've never heard of it before. So he's like, yeah, what is a taco? Taco, taco, right? So I had to make that right. So we hopped in my boss's brand new car that he didn't even have for a week. Brand spanking new. Took off to the taco shop, heading east on Palm Avenue towards Imperial Beach. Halfway there, some dude almost crashed into us head on. He's coming this way and then ran a red light, did a U-turn right in front of us, and I barely swerved and got out of the way. And then we got to the next stoplight. We are both stopped. And I put the car in neutral. And I got out of, and put on the emergency brake, got out of the car, and walked up to his car, and I started punching his window as hard as I could and yelling at him like a madman. It was stupid. I mean, he could have had a gun, but I didn't care. I wasn't thinking. That's not the actions of someone who is thinking. Just pounding on his window, right? 
And then um, Shannon's Bible college friend was totally freaked out. <laughs> He's like, can we go to McDonald's? It's like right there. <laughs> the other guy thought I was going to kill him. Everyone who saw me thought I was crazy. I get in the car, and that dude's like, and I'm like, what? I didn't think anything of it. I did not care about my father's reputation, representing him well. Only by God's grace, I grew in that, and I'm still growing. And I want to represent him well, even in the midst of my suffering. You know, if I care about my father's reputation, it will restrain me. It will restrain me from physical aggressiveness. It will restrain me from verbal aggressiveness, written aggressiveness on social media. It will restrain me from complaining in the midst of the suffering or injustice. It will restrain me from venting. We all think we have a right to vent. We justify it. My daughter and I were just talking about how people say, I'm sorry, but this person and those people are idiots. Can you even believe they think that or believe that or whatever? And they're not sorry. They say, I'm sorry, but they're not sorry. They just say sorry so they can say whatever it is that they want to say that they're not really sorry about. Right? If I care about my father's reputation, it will restrain me. That's the logic of this prayer. You know what, Father, in light of your greatness and grace, give me the desire to live for the honor of your name. I ask that King Jesus would rule in my life, that he would reign in my life, in this, and in the, especially in the midst of, of this problem or in the midst of this injustice. And may all of your people everywhere have this desire so that one day the whole world would be gloriously transformed. That's looking at life through the lens of the Lord's prayer. It reminds us of God's tomorrow when everything will be made right. And third, it reminds us of our today. So the first half is about God's tomorrow. The second half about our today. And so we pray, Lord, forgive us our sins so we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So here's the deal. Every single one of us sin. Therefore, every single one of us need forgiveness. On top of that, every single one of us are sinned against. And so, therefore, every single one of us need to forgive. Why? Because evil is real, and temptation is real. It is alive, and it is powerful, and it destroys people. That's why. This prayer request right here does raise a lot of questions, like, does God only forgive us to the extent that we forgive others? Does God ever lead us into temptation? What is evil? And we can't tackle all of that right now. We can look back at the series that we did. But here's the point. All of us really are helpless. Okay? I started, I started this morning by asking, what do you do when you're helpless? You pray the Lord's Prayer. But let's look at the other side of the coin here. What do you do when you've somehow convinced yourself that you're not helpless? You've convinced yourself that you got this. 
You, you, you read, you read self-help book. You even read Tony Robbins. And you're like, I got it. This is my book. I can conquer this. I can beat this. I'm not helpless. And that's what you think until you realize you can't think that anymore because that's not reality. Right? So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you realize that you don't got this. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you realize you're desperate for God, no matter how polished and organized your life might be. Right? Because it opens your eyes to your desperation. We all have God-given responsibilities through, through our actions, through our words, uh, even, even to, to take captive every thought that we have. And we don't have the resources to fulfill this, these godly responsibilities and to fully glorify God's name and represent him well, you know, perfectly, as we should. Our purpose is to honor God's name by demonstrating in word and deed and through our thoughts what God's tomorrow looks like. But we keep living in our day. And we keep sinning and we keep needing God's forgiveness. We gripe and justify it. We complain and justify it. We whine and justify it. We gossip about people and justify it. We hold grudges and we justify it. We prioritize above all. We prioritize our comfort. We prioritize our security over the needs of the poor, over the needs of the oppressed, over the needs of the sick, over the needs of the dying, over the needs of people who need Jesus. And so apathy is bliss. Uh, not caring is bliss. Escapism is, is bliss. And then cynicism. When you feel so helpless, sometimes we'll adopt an attitude of cynicism to feel like you're above it all. And ultimately, it robs you and everyone around you, robs us of life and joy and peace. There is no solution or deliverance in that. But we run to it over and over again. So we pray the Lord's Prayer because fourth and lastly, the Lord's Prayer reminds us of God's provision. It, it, this brings us to the solution that we need for our helplessness. When you pray, say, give us each day our daily bread. Now this, this right here is right in the middle of the prayer and is what ties the, the, the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, Jesus seems to make this the key to the whole prayer, the central prayer request, the bridge between the two halves of the Lord's Prayer. Now, of all of the prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer, this one kind of seems like irrelevant to us, right? I mean, when is the last time you prayed fervently that God would give you some bread so you wouldn't starve to death? Most of us haven't had to, some of us have had to do that, but most of us haven't had to do that. I have, you could tell just by looking at me, I haven't had to pray fervently for bread. Right? So what's this talking about? What's Jesus talking about? Well, everything he says after this explains. What is this daily bread? You could call it mystery bread, okay? The word daily bread here appears only two times in the Bible. 
And each time it was when, on two different occasions, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. We don't see it anywhere else in the Bible. We don't see it anywhere else outside of the, of the Bible. Scholars say that Jesus made up this word. And he's Jesus, so he could do whatever he wants, right? And it has two possible meanings. First, that daily means what we need for today, right? The other possible meaning is what we need for tomorrow. It seems Jesus had both meanings in mind when he wants us to pray, Our Abba, give us today our tomorrow's bread. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a poor kid uh, who lost his family, but his family left him a huge inheritance, but it's in a trust fund until he reaches age, uh, of age, and, and boatloads of cash are in his future. But right now he is starving, and so he emails the trustee and says, Give me a portion of my future inheritance today. This is our situation. Theologians call it the now-not-yet tension. Everything is yours right now in Christ. But we won't fully experience it until God's tomorrow. And so we pray, give us today tomorrow's bread. See, Jesus drives this home and explains it through a parable. Immediately after he says, here's what you pray, our Father who art in heaven, and then he gives a parable to, to um, that's why our scripture was so long, uh, to explain it and to drive it home. He tells about a man kind of in a helpless situation. A friend of his is on a road trip, shows up at his door late at night, and this guy has a God-given responsibility to show his friend some hospitality but he has no resources to fulfill his responsibility. The fridge is empty. He doesn't even have bread. But his neighbor has bread, and there's possibility that his neighbor will help him out, even though actually bread wasn't that easy to, to, to come by back then, and it's in the middle of the night. So he bangs on his neighbor's door and asks for three loaves. And scholars will say, you know, mention that the number three is often used symbolically to indicate perfection or completeness. We're led to think that Jesus is saying that this bread, whatever it is, perfectly and completely meets all of our needs today. And they note that this is, request is made at midnight and in between time, a transition time between today and tomorrow. It's a bridge between today when we have no bread and tomorrow when the Palestinians uh, family, when the families would make fresh bread each morning. But the man can't wait until tomorrow because he has a God-given responsibility today, right? And so he asks his friend for tomorrow's bread for today's needs. And Jesus says this is how we should pray to wake up to the fact that we live our entire life in the midnight hour. Tomorrow is the fulfillment of the advancing kingdom of God with its unlimited resources, but we live in today with all of our needs, all of our hurt, all the pain, all the disappointments, all the temptations. And on our own, we don't have what we need to fulfill our God-given responsibilities the way we should. But what we do have is a friend who has what we need. So we pray, give us today tomorrow's bread. That is the heart of this. It's at the heart and is the heart of this prayer. It's the hand of God's child reaching from 
the poverty of today into the riches of God's tomorrow. Father, give us today tomorrow's bread. So what's the bread? What is this bread we got to have to fulfill our God-given responsibilities? You know, we think it's, you know, the, the bread he must be talking about the finances I need. Or he must be talking about that special someone that I need. Or he must be talking about whatever it is that I think that I need. And, and God is good and gracious and, and he, makes, he blesses us with so many things, but that's not what he's talking about here. What is this bread that belongs to God's tomorrow but is guaranteed for his children today? Jesus tells us. Verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the what? Give the bread, right? Because that's what he's been talking about. That's what we would expect him to say. But look what he says. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, God himself, is our tomorrow's bread, okay? If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, that is proof that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And Jesus says that you should continue to ask for more of him. And the Spirit comes to you to make the kingdom of God more of a reality in your life today and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. He answers that prayer. He himself is your three loaves. He is everything that you need in every situation. And as we keep saying, I mean, you could have all of your desires, uh, all your wishes, all your dreams come true. You know, when you wished upon a star and you wished for this, that, and the other, you can have all of those things. You don't have God, you don't have anything. But if this life completely and totally rips you off, it makes you feel ripped out. You don't have anything that you wanted. But you have God himself. You have more than enough. You have all that you ever need. You're never ultimately helpless because the very spirit of God dwells within you. And when you ask your father for more bread, guess what? He gives it to you. You know why? Because he's a loving father who gives good gifts to his children because he is your father and you are his child. But that's rub, right? When everything is just so difficult, how do you know that God loves you? How can you know that God really loves you when it seems like everything is going sideways? You know, how, how can you know that God loves you when he says no to our prayers? Because you know what? God does say no, doesn't he? Like any good father, any good father, will say no to his children. Have you seen those clips on YouTube where it clips of these kids crying, right? The, kids are, the parents are videotaping their kids crying, and then there's a, a, a subtitle text comes up at the bottom. My son is crying because I wouldn't let him stick the knife in the electrical socket. <laughs> Something like that. How can we, in the face of, of frustration, 
say, I know that my father loves me, especially when he's saying no to the things that we think we need. We can know because of the one and only time Jesus prayed when he did not call God Abba. And you remember when that was, right? While he was hanging on the cross and he cried out, not Abba, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why was he forsaken? He's forsaken so that you never would be. The one time Jesus did not pray my father is the very moment he made it possible for you to call him Abba. That is how you can know God really loves you. Paul breaks it down so simply in his letter to the church in Rome when he says, you know what, you want to know how God loves you? He demonstrates it. And he demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You doubt God's love? When life beats you up, rips you off, lets you down, remember. Remember the gospel. Remember who you are. Remember who Jesus is and what he has done. Two different times Jesus said, when you pray, say, and both times he gives us the Lord's prayer. He gives us this prayer to teach us how to pray, to shape us into what we pray, to include us in his mission to the world and to share his closeness with the Father. This is the prayer that he gives us. This is the prayer that will change you. This is the prayer that transforms our world. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that you would give us a deeper appreciation for the good news. The good news of of your love, of your redemption, of your grace. And so, God, we pray then that you would help us to appreciate the good news by opening our eyes to the reality of the bad news. That apart from you, we could only earn condemnation. That we, we have earned our judgment time and time again. And yet, you loved us too much to condemn us out of sheer grace you adopted us into your family and paid the penalty for our our sins so that we could be reunited with you and then to live for your name to live for your fame to live for your your glory to advance your kingdom of of grace and goodness God I know I know that so many people here right now are just going through it. And the temptation, almost by default, is we look at you through the lens of our brokenness, through the lens of our sin, through the lens of uh, the sin against us by others, and you become a distortion. And with hearts full of anger, 
we ask, where are you? What in the world are you doing? And we demand answers. God, I pray that you would enable us to look at the brokenness in the world and our sin and the, the sin of others against us through the lens of the Lord's prayer, through the lens of who Jesus is and what he's done to conquer sin and death and judgment. God, for those who are hurting right now, would you bless them with faith in you? Would you bless them, Lord, please, with peace? Peace that passes all understanding, not because their situation got solved. Because you, their Father, are with them and are for them and love them, and you proved it in the most amazing way on the cross. God, we pray that even in the midst of our suffering, you would be glorified, that we would represent you well, that we would look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who sustains us and gives us joy. A joy that can't be crushed no matter what's going on in our life. God, we pray for our future inheritance in Christ today. We look forward to when all things will be made right. Help us to believe that, that you are redeeming all things, making all things new. Convince us of that, Lord. And lead us to worship you and find even greater relief in the midst of our suffering. We pray this in your name.